Mics are hot. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to the Growing the Fishes podcast, episode 171. This week, we have the Land Race Preservation Society. Thanks for joining us, Patty. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, we also have Marty. Hey, what's up, everybody? We got Roger. I guess he's having like Rogers. Rogers muted. Um, we got Mr. Green Jeans. Hey, everybody! Glad to be here. Mr. Green Jeans. How are you, Marty? All right. Um, so, uh, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? You have a, a pretty unique um, set of genetics that you uh, breed and are working on um, adapting quite a bit, bit of uh, natural land races from around the world. Uh, it's a really, really cool uh, thing that you're doing and something that we need to have, especially given the, uh, the patent wars and, you know, the, the, the scarcity of some of these genetics. You know, there's, there's some, you know, extinctions going on uh, in, in, you know, a lot of the different cultivars because people aren't growing some of these older, longer term growing stuff that people used to grow. You know, there's quite a few stuff, smells and tastes that I can remember from high school that certainly I don't remember the last time I tasted them because people have just bred away from them, you know, um, for sure. And, uh, you know, there's long, you know, Dr. Greenspoon and some of those other, you know, 18, 20, 22 week strains, you know, people just aren't growing anymore. Everyone's switching to the seven to 19 week stuff. So um, what are, uh, uh, you know, tell us a bit about what you do and, uh, and what you're passionate about. Well, uh, so basically we founded the Land Race Preservation Society to, uh, like you were saying, to preserve and acclimatize as many. Uh, we started, started with uh, uh, our Himalayan cultivars because uh, our area lends really well to uh, acclimatizing them. And they are, they're fairly, they're fairly uh, easy when it comes to land races, like uh, intersex wise and um you know, it's, it's, it's easier to, to eliminate the negative traits I found in, in those cultivars, at least, um, uh, up here when you're doing the outdoor selections, uh, I think indoor is pretty much the same with, I mean, it's swing, the pendulum swings. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of working with Southeast Asian, uh, genetics for, I'm sure, uh, obvious reasons for anyone who's had experience with the, you know, any Thai or Vietnamese or uh, Cambodian stuff. Um, it so what, can, what are the issues for those that aren't, aren't familiar? So, uh, well, aside from incredibly long flowering times, uh, you have plants that will, you know, uh, appear to, so out of a 24 week flowering period, you know, you, uh, you, you might get through half of that and you'll be just sailing through. And then all of a sudden, you know, an entire branch decides to become a male. And so you have, uh, you know, you have, you know, half a year basically dedicated to, uh, you know, this one uh, particular uh, cultivar that you're, you're working on. And it's, it's, uh, uh, it can be extremely frustrating and disappointing and heartbreaking. Uh, you know, when you think you've, uh, you know, you think you've isolated this, you know, the, the perfect pheno. And so you go to run it inside and it's just, it's just a complete shit show. And, uh, so yeah, I mean, intersex is probably the, the most difficult, um, factor when you are working with, uh, 
with uh, land races that have never been uh, grown either at our latitude or uh, in an indoor environment before. Um, that's got to be 100% the number one uh, issue people face. Um, so I always try to tell people if they're if they're you know purchasing uh, you know seeds for you know a cultivar like that, um, just be prepared for uh, you know just be prepared for what comes with the territory and uh, you know uh, yeah. Wow. What are some of the other unique challenges that you've run into? Um, uh, you know, growing uh, land race cultivars. I didn't mean to interrupt your 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 speech there in the beginning. Oh no, that's all right. Uh, um, some unique challenges. Um, just just being able to work with the amount of uh, the numbers needed to do the selecting that um, is required to um, uh, get the expressions, isolate the expressions that uh, you know are desirable to uh, modern uh, Western growers and breeders. Um, because people are definitely looking for a specific, uh, you know, out of an Afghan line, let's say, like, you know, people are looking for specific things or they think they, you know, know what they're looking for when they start digging through a, um, you know, a specific Afghan land race. But um, uh, so it's, it's just working with uh, the amount of numbers that you need. And most people don't have the, uh, the space or the plant count or the time to uh, really, uh, do the digging they need to to find the the standout uh, keepers to uh, you know uh, isolate the traits that they're going after. It's just time and space, really. Time and space and plant count. So laws um, are also a huge hindrance to this work. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it, there's there's definitely some unique challenges uh, that this the, this kind of work presents you with when you decide to dive in so is there any cultivars that um you tried to work with and maybe ended up just hitting a dead end or weren't able to to work out in terms of land races yeah there have been a few uh for sure um i was trying to release our highland tie in pure form uh for probably five years i was trying to get you know uh, get workable enough indoors to where the intersex rate was, was manageable at least. Um, and so that it was, you know, it could reduce the flowering time to, you know, maybe five months, uh, after many, many, many failed, uh, and frustrated, uh, uh attempts at, uh, at that, I, I had to, I had to throw in the towel and, and turn the seeds over to, uh, to somebody in Hawaii who uh, has the, the climate and the space and uh, the patience to, uh, and the love for, especially, especially the love for that particular cultivar to really take it to where it needs to go. Because, uh, you know, if, if uh, part of the difficulty with that work is we were doing it in a greenhouse. Um, so, you know, we were already getting weird expressions from the environment. Um, and then we were doing the indoor selections after we'd kind of, you know, thought we'd, uh, smooth things out um uh outdoor in the greenhouse uh when we brought it indoors it was just basically starting from scratch and it was um it was incredibly frustrating so uh we turned that project over to um 
another member of our collective and he is uh he is happily working it right now um in hawaii on the big island and uh you know if he's listening he knows who he is and uh we are very grateful for his uh work he's doing with our southeast asian lines so um is as it, far as my no go ahead sorry to interrupt you i, I was just going to say in just to clarify a little bit i feel like it's important to say that um you know the the reason that you're maybe not you but in in general a lot of times uh people that are after preserving land race it's a really a, a different mindset um and steve alluded to it a little bit in that you know it's not necessarily something you're you're doing trying to turn a profit but just preserve the genetics uh in their in their pure form uh, right can you talk about that a little bit uh yeah yeah so i mean that yeah you hit the nail on the head like that's that's definitely um there's not a ton of money to be made in this kind of work so like you really have to um it's something you have to kind of be a little crazy and passionate about and obsessed with to really, you know, be successful, I think, in preserving some of it, especially some of the more difficult to tame uh, lines. But, um, sure. uh, you know, I inherited a very large uh, seed collection from my father uh, when he passed away. And uh, it, you know, um, he's the one who kind of instilled in me the, the curiosity and the, um, the passion I have for this kind of work. And, uh, you know, for, for quite a while, he and I worked, um, hand in hand to, to, uh, he taught me a lot of, a lot of what I know. And, uh, so, you know, it's basically, it's, 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 uh, it's making sure that the, uh, the gene pool stays intact because we are, we are, not, I was going to say slowly, but fairly rapidly at this point with legalization taking hold, um, we are slowly bottle, bottlenecking the cannabis gene pool to the point where, you know, we are going to be facing some of the same issues we had when we started hybridizing corn and uh, other uh, of our uh, cash crops. Um, I believe there was the, the, the corn, uh, the corn fiasco in the 1970s um, where uh, farmers had to, there was a major effort, uh, to, uh, if somebody has more knowledge about this, feel free to chime in. But, um, so basically there was a, there was a, a blight affecting corn crops in the United States and it was, it was decimating, uh, um, uh, these farms. And so what they had to do is come up with a new F1 hybrid, um, of, um, an older, uh, uh, seed stock that hadn't been hybridized and, uh, they were able to, uh, you know, go back and, uh, you know, reinfuse some of these, uh, resilient genes from some of these older, uh, lines, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, create a, uh, a strain that was uh, able to withstand this blight that was affecting, you know, corn crops around the country. And, uh, you know, it's that kind of thing that is, um, going to be very difficult to do if all of these genetics uh disappear and well, it would be, be impossible right in terms of like what to replicate what they did because they they went back to non-hybridized uh seed stock right. and if right. nobody's growing it and nobody's making the seeds then nobody has it and really whether you're talking about uh 
you know, the, the reasons why you want it may be different. Maybe you're like Mr. Green Jeans over here who loves to, you know, breed plants and put them together with specific traits. And how are you going to be able to find, a, you know, a pure genetics that you want to cross with something else to get exactly what you want if they're all crossed with something else already? So even, even if you're looking at it from a connoisseur standpoint, you, you, the value of having those pure genetics is, is still very high for, uh, in, I guess, in my opinion. Those, no, absolutely. Those chemovar and terpene profiles that are, are totally not found anymore in, in most of your modern cannabis that, that is, are still found in a lot of those land race. And, and that to me, you know, we don't even know what the medical values are and, and there could be something, you know, the next CBD or, or alcohol bonded cannabinoids or, or any of some of these other stuff that, that um, really can be mined out of these that, that needs to be studied. Well, yeah. And I think uh, I, uh, Bam from uh, Coastal Seeds put it well when he said, uh, this is at the 2013 Emerald Cup, I believe I heard him, uh, he was giving a talk. And uh, uh, in fact, this was at the very beginning of the Open Cannabis Project, and all <laughs> we were all uh, wide-eyed and hopeful about what was to come uh, before all this phylos shit started. And uh, but he said, he said, um, you can take you can take blue and yellow and make green, but you can't take green and make blue and yellow. And I think that like sums it up really well because, you know, once, you know, uh, yeah, you can do, you can do back crossing if you have the original, you know, one of the original parents and you can, you can do certain things to try to reclaim certain traits that you've lost. But ultimately, unless you have that pure stock that's been preserved and, and uh, open pollinated. And so you have all the potential expressions that you can, you know, keep, uh, you know, you, you will end up losing uh, the unique, uh, traits of that plant that made that plant so valuable and that were developed over hundreds, if not thousands of years in certain areas uh, by farmers, uh, you know, selecting from a very, very, very large population of plants. So. So what, um, what traits do you look for um, in land race plants, maybe for breeders, breed, you know, good potential breeding plants that might be different than what, um, say traditional breeders um, are look for in terms of males and females? Uh, well, I mean, it just depends on like what stage of a preservation project we're, we're in. So we keep, we cast an extremely wide net at first. So we basically start by eliminating, uh, we do, well, we start first by just doing an, an open pollination uh, for, of everything. And then we collect the seeds from the plants that we uh, can't find any like obvious, uh, you know, undesirable traits in. So no intersex traits, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, super late finishing time. So if we're trying to do an outdoor acclimatized uh, line, um, you know, uh, let's see. So, I mean that, so that, that would be, that's the first step. And then as we, we kind of narrow things down as we go, but resistance um, especially, you know, we're working, uh, outdoors up here in the Northwest, you know, we have rain and mold to contend with. And, you know, uh, a lot of times we're trying to create, uh, uh, or find, I should say, dig out those genes that will, uh, enable the growers in the Northern latitudes to grow out, you know, some of the, uh, um, longer flowering sativas, uh, at their latitude without them molding out, 
you know, uh, even if it's finishing in, you know, mid-November with a little snow on it, you know, there are expressions out there that will allow you to do that. And it's just about finding those. Um, so, I mean, resistance, uh, you know, um, bud structure, eventually when we get to that step, um, that's definitely something that's taken into account. Um, uh, you know, resin production, things that make it desirable for, you know, that, that are going to make it fun for somebody to grow. Um, that also uh, retaining the characteristics that the old heads are going to, you know, uh, when they smoke it, they're like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, uh, whatever this is, uh, you know, this the Buddha Thai stick I smoked in, you know, 1979. Like, I recognize this uh, terpene profile and, uh, you know, um, so it's a it's a it's a very long multi-step uh process of narrowing down and we keep large amounts of seed from each step so if we have to go back if we're like no we you know we fucked up like that wasn't we thought that was a trait we wanted to follow but it turned out that was you know recessive and it's now that's we are unable to uh find it in these subsequent generations and so on and so yeah and so depending on what a grower is looking for or a breeder is looking for, we can kind of go back into the freezer and be like, okay, well, these, you know, the, the F3s looked really good and they had this trait. And if that's what you're looking for, this will help you with your breeding program. And, uh, you know, so, and a lot of people are also just looking for just the straight, straight from the source. You know, they want to do this work themselves. And, uh, you know, so we offer them just the, you know, we'll do breeder packs of, uh, you know, it says 24 we usually throw in you know 40 or so seeds um just so people have a chance to find you know what they're looking for um so you know it's it is a long long process and it you know it varies depending on the cultivar we're working with but um yeah I was going to ask, you know, especially outdoors, of course, it's a really long process because, you know, you have to wait a whole year for each generation. And that is one of the advantages about breeding indoors. And I was wondering, uh, you know, what, what thoughts you have about doing parts of those projects indoors and, you know, trying to um, obviously trying to work with day length things to match to outdoors and things like that. I mean, if you or think it's... Would, would you be able to get any use out of uh, any have, you know, indoor situation? Same question for light deprivation. Okay. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like we definitely, like that is one of the things that we, once we've, once we feel like we've gotten it stable enough, we definitely, we move the program indoors. We start our indoor selections. Um, but we, instead of trying to match the photo period of the region it's from or trying to mimic the outdoors in any way, we, what we do is we just, we, we will run some on 24 hour veg cycles. Um, so we, we try to match what the average, uh, you know, home grower is going to be, you know, utilizing photo period wise in their setup, uh, climate wise, et cetera. Um, you know, because ultimately they're going to be the ones who are growing it and they don't, these seeds don't come with special instructions on, you know, I mean, I suppose they could, but you know, like ultimately, you know, when people are buying these, they're going to either grow them on 18 hour or, you know, maybe 16 hour, you know, uh, veg, but 16 to 24 hours is generally what they're, what we test them at. And then, uh, we'll do decaying photo periods for some of our really longer flowering sativas. So, you know, we'll start off at like, you know, 1113 and end at like, 
you know, it just depends, but usually around 10 hours of light. Uh, Love it. Yeah. So that's, yes, indoor, the indoor stuff is extremely valuable too, because there are people in parts of the world where it's either illegal, highly illegal still, or their climate just will not lend to growing anything other than autos. Like no matter, no matter how much digging we do, you know, although we have found um, to our friends at the Indian Landries Exchange, uh, there are a couple members who have been going up to Siberia recently and doing some hunting and uh, there's some pretty interesting auto stuff coming out of there right now that uh, we're going to start playing around with here in the coming seasons. So uh, yeah, something to, something to stay tuned for these Siberian land races are interesting, very resinous, like super resinous and uh, uh, fairly tall, very um, uh, narrow, narrow leaf. What's that? I said, go on super resonant. <laughs> you have my attention. Yeah, very tall, narrow leaf is pretty cool too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So they have a lot of those narrow leaf traits um, and like generally from the smoke, it's, it's, um, I would say I, I, ha I don't have any testing on these yet, but um, I would say by the smoke, I'd say it's probably about a one-to-one -one or thereabouts ratio. Um, so I definitely think there's a lot of potential in there um, for not only hunting the, the pure stuff, but, you know, uh, outcrossing to, you know, uh, let's say like a super long flowering, you know, maybe even a haze or, uh, you know, I'm brainstorming a lot of projects right now in this area because I've been, uh, you know, ever since finding out about these Siberian, uh, Siberian lines and with everything going on in Alaska right now. And, you know, there's, um, there's definitely a need for Northern cultivars that can finish in climates like that and still produce well and provide growers, uh, commercial growers with the, the, uh, resistant plants that they're looking for, for, you know, environment. Yeah, like obviously that. outdoors in Alaska has got to be pretty tough sledding. So, yeah, I'm thinking probably most of their stuff's got to be indoors at, at the moment. And a lot of that, like you're saying, is due to, you know, the, the genetics that are available on the market aren't, aren't going to work where they are at just based on the amount of sunlight that they get and weather patterns. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the, the 24 hours of light or thereabouts, you know, um, that, that do make it challenging. I mean, if you were, if you're growing, uh, photo period plants like you'll definitely grow some gigantic plants during that summer but uh unless you have a greenhouse to finish them in it gets a little tricky um so you know that there are a lot of canadian breeders who are doing some really cool stuff with autos right now uh i am not super familiar with some of their work because it's not really an area i have focused a lot of attention on but um there's definitely you know been you know, a lot of progress made, uh, over the last even 10 years with autos and, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, there's, but there's, there's still a, a huge demand for, you know, some solid commercial, uh, hardy outdoor commercial varieties for areas like Alaska and, you know, um, you know, upper Canada. Probably Maine too, I would think, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was just looking at somebody's farm up there uh, today. I can't remember what, uh, something, some, they're a, they're a DEM pure certified farm up in Maine. I cannot remember what they're called at the moment. Oh, but, cool. Dem pure. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. 
I don't know. But that's cool. Yeah, I, got- I, mean, I just assume, you know, pretty much anybody, in, you know, in, uh, in both of those states have, have some form of legalization now. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Maine's totally legal with uh, but and they didn't ruin their medical program when they did their recreational. They got both. Oh, so they did it right. <laughs> yeah, so far. Well, well they were confused. Oregon still has those, but they both suck. So yeah, well, exactly. Well, some Oregon's been trying like Michigan, to kill the program. Yeah, yeah. It, they've been fairly successful. Yes, they have. there are three dispensaries in the entire state that are still medical only. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. Told you, Steve. <laughs> There's only three. I'm not fucking with you. I've said this before on the podcast. People are like, "What three? I'm like, "No." Yeah, they're doing that in other states too. Yeah. Everybody else is wrecked. Like everybody, and not like no shade towards them, but there's fucking three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people are left with pretty much no choice. It's like, yeah, we're doing away with the medical program. So if you want to keep, you know, growing cannabis for a living, you have to do this now. So that's pretty much what they did to everybody in Oregon. You've so got before, to give them money, and you've got to give them money, and you've got to give them money. Exactly. Them money, and then you can grow. Yep. Yep. See, Michigan's kind of keeping it that way too. Michigan's going to be similar to Maine, I think, because we talked about that when we were up there at the conference in March. That uh, I told those guys, I said, "Man, you need really start lobbying about making sure your medical program." And they said, "In Michigan, it's more of a they can't just outright go changing laws like they have. They have to have the the people's vote in Michigan." So That's I thought that should be <laughs> state by state thing. They can't just say we're doing away with the medical program because they have to have a vote by the people of Michigan to do we all remember We all remember what happened in Nevada where the governor had to declare a state of emergency in order to fix the cannabis laws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the biggest oh. stop fucking calling me that I've ever seen. Like, like you declare a state of emergency just because fuckers won't stop calling you about weed. That's, that's impressive. I, I applaud you, Nevada. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh what kind of cultivars do you uh focus on growing? You have quite the long list here on your website. It's pretty awesome. You put a lot of work into this. Why don't you tell us about uh the cultivars that you've been working in and are passionate about? Well, right now, I mean, as you can probably tell on the site, like uh, my focus has really been on our uh north indian and pakistani stuff uh we we are starting uh kind of a mediterranean breeding program right now with our we have some greek some lebanese uh syrian and uh some egyptian stuff that we're playing around with at the moment um so that's something that we just started but for the last like three, four, almost four years. Um, it's pretty much been exclusively working with our Central American and uh, North Indian stuff, and as well as our uh, Northern Pakistani uh, lines. So it's pr- I, probably because they're just so much fun to grow up here in this area because they just do so well. And it's, it's, um, it's exciting to kind of see like the expressions that come out at this latitude and in this climate, because the climate's really similar. And I've never seen plants that just would not mold in the climate that I'm actually looking out the window at right now, where it is pouring down rain and it is, you know, beginning of October. So um, 
Oregon all my plants here. <laughs> What's that? For the rain. I mean, I don't yeah. have anything outdoors. I, I just moved, so it's not a concern for me. But obviously, here in Southern Oregon, we have just a few growers, and I know a couple of them. And they're all pretty concerned about the amount of rain we're getting right now. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. you know significant concern, I would say. Lots of PM. As a consumer, I would be concerned going to a dispensary yeah. uh, here in about, I don't know, two to three months, probably for some of them. Yeah, uh, Christmas time is going to be sketchy for yeah. buying weed at dispensaries don't, out here. Don't buy the pre-rolls. Do not buy the pre-rolls. <laughs> Do I not remember. buy the pre-rolls. <laughs> yeah. I, would, I would cut off pre-roll use like November. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably a safe bet. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of biomass for cartridges is being created right now with this rain. Yeah, a lot of distillate. A lot of distillate. Yeah, a lot of distillate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, what are what are some of the next projects that you're fo- hoping to focus on? You talked about working on the Pakistani stuff and some of the Himalayan stuff. What are some of the other ones you hope to work on? Well, right now, like um, we just like literally this week just started is we have um, kind of like not really in the forefront because there's been a lot of people doing other stuff with the Afghan lines and like they're doing some really good work. Um, so like Afghan selection on Instagram, that's the, his handle it used to be, uh, well, it's like Baba, Baba 69 something or other. He used to have the handle is like uh, Afghan Kush, black honey, uh, really nice guy uh, uh his name's Haroon he, he is uh based out of Mazari Sharif uh he is a uh went to school to study journalism then the war happened and he uh the recent one not the Soviet one but so he's he's around the same age and you know he uh really passionate about getting cannabis tourism reintroduced to Afghanistan and uh He's been sharing uh, all of his uh, seeds from all of his favorite cultivars and regions um, with, you know, the online cannabis community now for the last couple of years. And the response has been amazing. So um, what we have been doing is um, we have some of our older selections from the 60s and 70s that were collected by uh, uh, my father and his friends uh, during that time on the hippie trail. and we have, we've been working these lines for an incredibly long time. So these are solid, uh, you know, as solid as, as, as we're comfortable narrowing them down to. And so we've taken some of our favorite uh, cuts and we are working on uh, a feminized, uh, feminized packs for uh, home growers who want to try these out, um, uh, you know, uh, who are maybe limited by plant count, like in Oregon, where you can grow four plants. Uh, so it doesn't really lend well to growing from seed because it's not for mature plants. It's just for plants in general, like total. So, you know, and I know in other States they have similar, uh, you know, repressive plant counts. Now, if you're trying about the only value left in having a a medical program at this point, is it exactly a card? You can grow six who you get <laughs> bonus flower plants. Exactly. You can have your veg room you and your flowering room. <laughs> yeah, you can have uh, veg plants at the same time. If I'm I'm correct, I think it's double the amount that you are registered for. So if you can have 12 flowering plants, you can have 24 veg plants. Yeah. And yeah. then you can have as many under a foot tall, so clones, 
basically uh, as many as you want. So um, that, that's the only value left for uh, like a medical card really, unless you count the two extra plants that you get for flowering, but it costs you like 400 bucks or some shit. So oh, it's ridiculous. Bucks a yeah. plant. Yeah, it's like yeah. fuckers. Anyway. So I mean, the, yeah, so the feminized seeds like that'll, you know, like we, we haven't up until now, like released any, any feminized stuff, uh, just because I have never been a huge fan of, you know, the feminized seed craze that kind of swept the seed community in the early 2000s, late nineties. But, um, with the laws that have passed recently, like we were just talking about, um, there is a lot of value in someone being able to, you know, if they don't want to grow, you know, from dirty cuttings from a dispensary, well, they can pick up a pack of seeds um, and, uh, you know, get, you know, at least, you know, 90% female plants. Um, I would never say they're hundred percent feminized because that doesn't exist, but you know, you'll, you'll receive uh, stable, you know, uh, intersex free feminized seeds uh, or feminized plant, female plants, <laughs> uh from these and you'll be able to you know see if it's a line you want to work with and if it is then we also have the you know the regular seeds in breeders packs and you can do all the you know experimenting and because the whole point is to get people breeding with this stuff because if people don't and they're gone so like when people buy them you know we we're, we encourage people don't just keep them in your freezer you know like do an open pollination then put you know set aside however many of those in your freezer and then you know play around like play around with these seeds, like find your favorites. You know, if you don't like this line, that's okay. Like you decide that early on and then, you know, hold the seed stock, share those with people who might enjoy them and move on to something else. Like the whole point is to, you know, get people growing these, get, you know, get them, get them out there, get them into the gene pool. So we do not lose them. So that's way cool, man. Yeah, that's a great Love idea. Great well, that's what all our friends are doing. Mr. Green Jeans does that. Vision does that. The guys out in the Northwest in Canada do a lot of sharing a land race for that very reason. So they can get it back. Like Green, Mr. Green Jeans has a great story about his cherry bomb, how he gave it away and then they lost it and he didn't have it. And then a guy gave it to had been breeding it and gave it back to him. So it's like back in awesome. the computer, man. It's like that's back awesome. in the computer. Very cool. Yeah, open source, man. It's great. Well, this is always a good <laughs> the only way to ask people, what do you look for in a male when you're looking for the right male when you're phenome hunting? Well, that is, uh, again, like that's, that's can be fairly cultivar uh, dependent, I'd say, um, in general. Um, like if I work in a longer flowering line, I will select the more, the earlier flowering males, but it's generally the opposite. You know, I'll look for a male that is, um, you know, I'll pretty much cull any male out of the population who is showing his sex uh, in veg, obviously like that would, that's a undesirable trait. So, uh, you know, the later flowering males, earlier flowering females, uh, you know, any male that's, that's uh, putting off a lot of stink, has a strong terpene profile um, without even, you know, a stem rub, you know, just something that is just a stinker, uh, you know, males that show resin. Um, ultimately though, like, you know, it's just the, you know, the trial and error, if it's going to pass on, you know, uh, 
the traits you want it to pass on, or if it's going to, you know, create shit, then, you know, it's just about, it's just about, uh, trial and error. But I mean, that's a good starting point at least, because if, if it's displaying those traits that you find desirable, well, that's, you know, a 50, 50 chance, you know, well, it's either going to not pass those on or it's going to. And yeah. Structure as well, because the male is definitely going to pass on its structure to the uh, subsequent progeny. So, uh, yeah. And any, any males that have like a nice, really strong uh, floral uh, structure is also um, something that I look for. Um, and yeah, that's just, you know, it's about numbers and, you know, you, you grow out enough, enough seeds and you'll find like just the craziest looking males that are just, you know, you're like, where did you come from? It's like, you're, you're sticking around. You, you know, yeah. Especially if he passes on those traits, it's like, you know, that's, that's gold. So we have a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot Love of that prize shit, man. Yeah. definitely with the, always include the, the maverick boy, the, you know, the male that's like really kind of strange. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's, yeah, there are some really, really, really interesting, you know, male, you know, there are definitely a lot of breeders that post a lot of pictures of their males, but like for the most part, it's just, you know, the, the bud porn you see online, it's just, you know, you know, these, uh, you know, oozing female flowers, but I think it's, uh, so much cooler when, you know, when you see just these, I think, uh, AK bean brains has some really interesting males in his collection. Um, he, uh, yeah. And he's just got some really, really, really cool males. And he, uh, I believe he ships pollen, uh, to people who, uh, request it from some of these. So he's got the original Alaskan thunderfuck and some other stuff. And, uh, um, yeah, nice. yeah. That's really cool, and so, and I think that they're you know like we talked about you know breeders wanting some of these different strains to work with and not really you know in some cases not really realizing what they have until it's gone. I think that in a similar way where you know for so long we were chasing just THC and and now we're even getting into uh, you know chasing just high percentages of THC as as necessarily being quote unquote better when you know you still have a lot of people that have uh, you know smoked a lot of weed even as low as like eight or nine percent THC that still can be really effective in whether even if you're just looking to get high and so um, I, I think it'll it there'll be some interesting swings back to some, like once we get over this like chasing like 30% THC uh, strains um, that, you know, maybe, maybe we'll get back to like, you know, testing the plant's actual effects and how, how it really works as opposed to just what its percentages are. Like the character, the character of the high and rather than just yeah. the sheer amount of THC you're being bombarded with. Right. Yeah. So much more important. You know, it's like high THC is really only good for if you were uh, limited budget and you're only you have 20 bucks and, you know, <laughs> <the> gram <laughs> or whatever is going to last. 
right. you know, certain amount of time. Really, it really, it's really good, it, right? Like that's that's. Funny. And then you can just put a little teeny crumb in there and get really wet. Yeah, exactly. It's like the old but prohibition the thing, era, you know. Like, oh, you know, got to stretch this out because only know. time. It, that's the only time THC counts at all. I swear to God. The rest of the time, uh, you know, if you have five or six jars, you're the connoisseur. You know, you're rarely going to choose the strongest one. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, right, right off the bat, especially I mean, if it doesn't it, have anything else. You know, if it's yeah, got like well, twenty nine percent THC and zero CBD and zero it, like yeah. it, almost every strain that is high in THC rarely has anything else. It it, it almost definitely makes the uh, terpene profile one dimensional. You know, you've got that really strong sort of turpentine, sort of piney, maybe a little bit of peppery thing yeah. on, but pretty much nothing else if there is anything else you can't even s smell it or detect it under the rest of the you know all high thc strains are, that i've ever experienced are very one-dimensional uh in the turkey i agree i agree and so i think when, when people start getting over that they're going to come knocking on your door to be like hey you got you got any more of them land races? Over there? Well, I mean, that's exactly why the the land races and everything are so are so valuable. You know, it's because you can combine those those traits and stuff like that. And and I think going into the future, as the as cannabis gets to be a lot more available, everybody is eventually going to has the potential to become a connoisseur. You know, if yeah. it's relatively inexpensive and easy for them to obtain, they're going to start collecting jars before they know it and as soon as that happens you start really thinking about the uh, the different effects you know you notice the differences between all the different jars if you are just going from uh you know uh stash to stash and you're you know on the limited budget you don't even really have the opportunity to notice differences between the different effects you know what i mean so it is really kind of all about being a connoisseur, not that a connoisseur is somebody who's so special and knows so much, just somebody that's got choices, you know what I mean? Right. Automatically, right. as soon as you've got the choices, you're in the connoisseur club and, you know, you, uh, you get a lot more sensitivity to all the other, uh, that's when, you know, that's when all the different you know it becomes a game of like looking for the most different things you know and that's where all the the land races and the things that you're talking about are so incredibly valuable because <laughs> i think it's like a lot of times when you talk to casual smokers you know we'll say like people that you know maybe are spending their 20 bucks on the weekend to smoke you know once or whatever and they keep you know which is fine you you know you can do that but i find the, a lot of those people are like all we taste the same to me hmm yeah. yeah oh for sure like uh you know whatever just give me the 20 bucks worth and it'll you know like it, it's all the same but there's some but yeah no there's some there's some you 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 know for sure there's some ones that'll really knock them for a loop you know what i mean yeah. <laughs> you know what happens people people get over people get over the whole hey weed's cheap now and then they become connoisseurs as they you know kind of burn out on the on the cheap weed and i've, I've you know yeah. i've gone through colorado uh california jamaica canada and all these other markets and, and i've gone through legalization and all of them now and worked with clients in those markets and that's exactly what happens in the beginning everyone's super happy and you're always going to have 30 to 45 percent of the market that just wants their bag of weed like they mm -hmm. do not care 
because they're not educated enough on why they should care. And, and what, what's really interesting is, is that, especially when you start pairing terpene profiles with, with what customers buy, you can make super really easy predictions on what they're gonna want to buy and what they're gonna like. Uh, like to within you know five percent error rate it's kind of stupid because people really like very specific terpene profiles they don't realize it but when you actually look at it from an analytic side from the other side of the register it's it's plain as day um and, and that's one thing why you know why it's so silly to me to see states where people don't aren't doing cannabinoid and terpene profile testing is that you know you, you're you're hurting your sales ability <laughs> like, like legit totally yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, also, with so, we had to really consider all that stuff in breeding too. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that's I think that's really important to. Oh, absolutely. So, what are some traits that you see in some of the land race varieties that you don't see quite so much in the um, uh, you know normal production varieties for people that are a little less familiar with uh, you know <laughs> land race or old school cannabis versus <laughs> traditional uh, production. I think uh, the entourage effect is far greater uh, in the uh, land race varieties, especially uh, varieties that have been uh, selected for uh, resin production or hash production um, because they weren't selected individually plant by plant. They were selected out of, out of a field. So you'll end up with, uh, you'll end up with high, you know, high CBD, low THC plants. You'll end up with one-to-ones and high, you know, high THC plants and everything in between. So uh, I think the trait that you find the most is are these really novel, um, you know, uh, not common uh, novel cannabinoids that pop up like CBG and, uh, you know, some of the others, um, as well as terpenes that you're, you know, um, uh, haven't really been around in, you know, quite some time because they were, you know, uh, they belong to a cultivar that, you know, just didn't have the the prohibition, uh, prohibition era selection traits that people were going for, which is just massive yield, fast, fast finishing and high THC. And that's unfortunately still the mindset that most breeders have. You know, everyone wants a seven week finisher. It's like, you know, when's this going to finish? Well, probably nine to 10 weeks. Oh, but it's a pure Afghan. Well, yes, but you like traditionally, like these are at least usually 10 to 11 week plants. You know, they usually harvest them when it's snowing and, uh, you know, so, I mean, uh, I think that's probably the biggest thing is the range of possibilities in a pack of seeds that you get, even like that's been, you know, selected and worked a bit and acclimatized, like you're still going to find, um, you know, a pretty, pretty diverse range of, uh, expressions, even just from one, you know, 12 pack of seeds. So, uh. And, and especially, okay, so like if you're considering like equatorial varieties, which are traditionally extremely high in THC, just based on the way they select the plants. So it'll be extremely high in THC and most will have almost zero uh, CBD. And uh, so you'll find that uh, really prevalent in uh, South Indian genetics, uh, you know, a lot of equatorial African stuff. Um, you know, Southeast Asian stuff, especially too. anything that's been selected for ganja, like for flower cultivation by an indigenous population, they're selecting those by the flower. So like if you're, if they're sitting there smoking and they're like, oh, this is a really, this is a great bowl we just smoked. Like they set those seeds aside from that bud and that's 
what they end up planting the following year. And so, you know, generations of that, you're going to end up with almost, you know, because they're, they're selecting for high THC. That's what's, you know, uh, so you, you get that. Uh, you tend to have, especially with South, South Indian lines, you, you, you generally get the very, a very similar uh, incense kind of uh, fruity, piney incense aroma generally in those cultivars. And I feel like that's probably because those were originally the plants that contained, you know, the, you know, the highest THC and uh, were, you know, the most uh, uh, desirable to the people that were selecting at the time. And, and generally like they were selecting for high THC because these were plants that were used, you know, uh, uh, for spiritual uh, practices up and, you know, and up until, uh, you know, modern, modern times, you know, cannabis is still a huge part of, uh, you know, spiritual, well, just the culture in general in uh, India and, uh, you know, the Himalayas and Southeast Asia. Um, so, yeah. I, It's oh, uh, very cool. It's a complicated question, but yeah, it's <laughs> fantastic. Well, you see, a lot of land races are grown more for for making charas or making you know for resin production and not not for ganja or, or flowers. You know, they and you're in other parts of the world they refer to flower production as ganja production versus right. hash production or resin production, so or oil production, depending on what part of the world you're in. Or in some parts of the world, they say gum instead of charis. So, but uh, but yeah. So, uh, what other is there any other maybe unique um, traits or things that you've found maybe just in your own um, you know phenome hunting and, and seed searching that you've done that you found uh, working with a lot of land race that really surprised you or was striking or different or unique. I think, yeah, one of the things that I found really striking is, you know, I think we've all experienced, you know, like getting a clone and, you know, it looked a certain way for like the first two crops that you grew it once you got it and you got it from another grower. So he's been growing it in his setup for X amount of years and you get it in your setup and it looks the same, kind of starts to look a little different after that second run. And then, you know, a year later, it's a completely different plant and it's a, it's a clone. So that, that, um, I think like most of us have experienced that like adaptability and then like witnessing, you know, our, our, those genetics kind of uh, the epigenetic expression starting to come out after a bit of time. But with the land race genetics, what I find so fascinating is how quickly they do this. Like literally. So from seed plant to second generation clone, you will have, uh, you will have like an a hundred percent, uh, generally speaking, especially with the Pakistani stuff I've run, just incredibly adaptable. Um, the clones will be uh, just completely perfectly adapted to that environment within two or three runs. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's definitely something that I found really fascinating, really, really um, kind of makes you think about, uh, you know, the environment you're, you're putting your plants in and, you know, the, the stimuli that they're responding to and the expressions that come out of that stimuli and uh, land race genetics just tend to have, they really take on the characteristics of their surroundings and the, the terroir, especially if you're growing them outdoors. Um, so, I mean, because the plants that we grow, you know, like a mile from the beach, 
compared to the plants that grow up in the mountains, like it's nine day, um, even though, you know, same latitude, um, just that simple elevation and the slight climate uh, difference at those uh, elevations, like makes such a huge difference in the terpene expression and the cannabinoid profiles that come out. Um, yeah. Have you seen any, um, you know, more increase in twins or any kind of weird vining or weird growth or lace leaf or anything else funky in terms of, um, you know, maybe more morphology or anything? Well, I've definitely noticed like in our Chinese populations, we've been working through um, some very interesting uh, mutations coming out. Um, so yeah, like I've had twins, I've had triplets, um, uh, mainly like a lot of variegation and a lot of uh, basically I would call them albino uh, plants that pop up uh, out of uh, cloned populations. So that kind of goes back to the epigenetics uh, drifting. I want to call it genetic drift, but you know, the, the adaptations that the clones go through, I've had, um, you know, I've had plants go from, you know, relatively, relatively normal looking girls to, you know, an entire side of the plant is just completely, you know, pale yellow to white, um, completely healthy, but just, you know, that's the, uh, that's what it's decided to express itself as. So, it, uh, yeah, some interesting, uh, especially in some of the more, uh, primordial populations, like up where it's, you know, in China, you know, where you've like Yunnan province, especially, uh, Yunnan and, uh, the Himalayan re like, you know, belt that goes all along Southern China. Um, you can find some really interesting, uh, uh, yeah, primordial expressions of, uh, cannabis that are, you know, you'll find, you know, the wide range of, uh, phenos that I was describing earlier, uh, the different profiles and, and, uh, and whatnot. And, uh, a lot of really interesting mutations. I was actually, I was just looking at somebody's, uh, there's that, what is it, Australian bastard weed or, uh, you know what I'm talking about? The, uh, ABC. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, this is, this has been, uh, like an obsession of mine recently. I just think it's so cool. Um, who, somebody, somebody nearby me was just working with this actually. Um, but it wasn't from that line. It was from something else that they were working and an expression popped up out of the blue um, during a breeding project. And it was, uh, it's interesting. And I don't know what uh, environmental triggers uh, bring that expression out or if it's, you know, uh, where it's coming from, but uh, there are, it's just kind of proof, like what we have no idea, like, you know, we've, Westerners have been breeding cannabis the way we've been breeding it for, you know, very short amount of time compared to the rest of the world. And so um, I think going forward, you know, we're going to be seeing, especially as more people delve into uh, the preservation and the breeding and the working with land races, I think we'll start to see uh, um, some pretty crazy expressions that, you know, none of us have had the pleasure of uh, witnessing in our lifetimes. Uh, have you have you heard about Zamal? Yes, the uh, the uh, in a perennial. <laughs> the perennial. So, yeah. so I have some landrace Zamal 
what are your thoughts on that? Have you worked with it? Can you know? I have, yeah. Yeah, I got some seeds from uh, Luis um, over at Ace Seeds uh, like 10 years ago. Um, Right around when they were first starting to play around with the Zamal stuff. And uh, I have never been able to duplicate the... And I've heard heard this is actually pretty common, uh, not being able to duplicate the perennial, uh, you know, regenerative, uh, regenerating uh, trait that the... uh, uh, that that cultivar expresses at, um, you know, in its native habitat, or maybe not native, but where it's, you know, acclimatized to. You, you um, know. Yeah. Uh, so never had that, uh, had a chance to see it do that. But I've heard, um, like, from a couple other breeders who tried growing it out in Central Africa, were not able to replicate that either. But they got the seeds from plants that were, uh, from, from La Reunion Island, uh, that were, you know, expressing that, uh, trait, but, uh, so I don't know, like it's, um, it's kind of one of those things. Like I'd like to, I definitely wonder like, a, I wonder if it's a soil microbe. Well, yeah, it's what some people are saying. Like it's either, it's, uh, some people are saying it's the volcanic activity and the magnetic field from all the volcanoes on the Island, or it's, uh, you know, it's the, uh, I mean, <laughs> In my opinion, it's probably just like the way the plants are being farmed there and the climate lending to, you know, rejuvenation happening a couple times a year. You harvest the tops, the you know, plant grows back, grows more tops. They, you know, um, the one thing I had noticed though, like I did do some regeneration in a couple grows and I did notice that as like the farmers say uh, on reunion, like that, you know, the, after three seasons, the plant is at its, its peak. So you'll get the best harvest after your third uh, uh, crop out of that plant. So the plant, in my experience, like those, the, that line does um, tend to, like after two or three runs, you know, harvesting, regenerating, harvesting, regenerating. And then we did that from clones, not from seed plants. So, but um, yeah, we did notice an improvement in quality um, after the second run. So. Uh, yeah, I've never okay. tried that with with uh, any other lines though, so I don't know if that's specific to that plant. But I've also read Ed Rosenthal uh, saying that about just cannabis in general. So I don't know. I've always found that clones, in my opinion, I've found that when I clone a plant, uh, that about the third third time I go third run, I get the best results because of the adaptation, like you say, to the environment. Yeah. Uh, and that's I found that to be pretty, you know, for 20 years, I've seen that, you know, if you start cloning, it's that third run on the clone. And it seems to really take to your style of growing in whatever environment it's being, you know, grown in. Well, what do you look for when you're when you're doing your uh, clone selections, like for a mom, like when you're. Uh... Yeah, I, I the, 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 the flower that I like the best. Yeah, just in general. You know, I, I, I work for a seed bank, so I, I kind of uh, have a, I keep going through different ones and I don't clone a lot. I did for a couple of years, but I got tired of it and, and everybody was doing the land race thing. So I got some land. So I'm in the middle of starting up doing a little bit of breeding now, which I didn't really care to do before. But, you know, after a while, you just get sick of hearing about everybody else doing this cool stuff and you're not. So uh, 
but yeah. I, I choose clones by whatever, like if I grow three or four different cultivars or strains, hybrids or whatever, or whatever I like the best is the ones I keep the, you know, whatever I like the way the plant looks, you know, that's about yeah. it. I'm not a big breeder. So, you know, that's what, that's the limit of mine is what I've cloned. Yeah. Sorry about that. I'm I thought I lost Justin. Did my having some some issues with my my mute and unmute for whatever reason on on my thing. So, um, uh, is there anything else you wanted to share with us? What are some of the other things that you would recommend to people that are maybe trying to get into breeding land race or maybe running into some challenges or some frustrations? Um, you know, with their own land race preservation projects. Uh, I would just say like, don't bite off more than you can chew. Like it's, you're, you're depending on how, how, uh, I don't want to say raw because these are well worked by the people we, you know, who've been keeping them for all these years, but you know, uh, don't bite off more than you can chew because it is a time consuming process. So start with, you know, start with a line that you are passionate about because ultimately this, you, you, you have to be in order to you know, stick with this kind of work. Um, yeah, just find a, find a region that you're fascinated by, um, you know, a part of the world that, you know, you just, um, you know, uh, that captures your imagination and a cult or a culture that you find, you know, just because for me, I studied anthropology and, you know, it's so like, it's the, it's the relationship between, you know, the, the people and the plant and the, I feel like just consuming the cannabis, um, that in its, in its, you know, in the form that it's been selected, um, you know, by, by that specific village or that Valley for however many years, like it's, it's such an insight into, you know, the, what's important to that culture. And, and, uh, um, it's, it's kind of like a window into, uh, you know, what, what, what's important to these people and, and, uh, and helps you kind of relate to them on a certain level that I don't think you really could, um, otherwise, uh, because cannabis is in these, in these places, it's such an intricate, uh, uh, part of their, their lives. It's, it's, it's so interwoven, uh, uh, that it's, it, it really does give a lot of insight into, you know, what these, what is important to, uh, to these people. So, uh, but yeah, if you're getting into it, you know, just be, get inspired and let that inspiration carry you through the project because that's what will do it. And you will, like, if you persevere, you will, you will succeed. Like, it's just about having patience and, you know, don't, you know, don't take on more than one project at a time, especially if you're starting off with this kind of stuff. Like, it's really important to just, you know, stay focused, know what your goals are. Uh, I, that's really important, like knowing what your goals are and like what you're selecting for, because you could go off in a thousand different directions. And, uh, and yeah, just, you know, don't be discouraged if you end up with some seeded buds, because there's nothing wrong with seeded buds. Uh, people have been smoking them for a very long time. And, uh, uh, you know, it, hash is great too. <laughs> you know, like that's, 
you know, basically, you know, get out, yeah, get some good uh, hash making equipment because you'll be making a lot of hash, most likely. And uh, yeah, just have fun and remember why you're doing it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, anything else you wanted to, to share with our uh, listeners before we uh, um, let you go? Uh, no, I, uh, I, it was a pleasure uh, chatting with you all today. Um, why, yeah, don't I pre- tell, why don't you tell everybody how to find you, your website, your, your Instagram, and all that stuff. And we'll make sure that's in the description as well. Yeah, so uh, you can find us on Instagram uh, under uh, landrace underscore preservation underscore society uh, and also through uh, old underscore world underscore organics underscore LLC uh, and the website uh, where you can find and purchase genetics uh, that we've been discussing uh, is uh, landracepreservationsociety.org Awesome. Thanks for all the amazing work you've been doing and uh, keep up the good fight and uh, um, you know, uh, I look forward to, to hearing what some of our listeners do with some of your genetics in the future. Well, yeah, me too. <laughs> and I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely, anytime. Love your attitude and yeah, stick yeah. around if you want. Well, you know, as we move the show on, if you want. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick around. What, I'll, uh, what, uh, what are you, uh, I really appreciate it, man. Um, what have you been up to there, Mr. Green Jeans? Oh, me? Uh, um, I don't have too much to report. Doing a lot of outdoor growing. Um, watching a lot of cherry bomb plants flower outdoors here in Los Angeles at 33 degrees latitude. It's awesome. They're getting, you know, they're getting huge. They're, they're huge. Some of them are big old trees. So yeah, it's pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, not much else. Um, yeah, not much to report. That was a fantastic talk, by the way, Patrick. Uh, really great. Uh, <laughs> excellent guest we had tonight, huh? Um, I, I just wanted to add um, one thing I thought of while you were talking about was the, uh, and I think you were kind of alluding to this a little bit, Patrick, was the, um, that, you know, actually new stuff does seem to kind of appear out of nowhere in terms of smells and tastes, terpenes. It, is, it isn't exactly true that, I mean, I've experienced that a number of times. I've seen it happen a whole bunch of times, you know, in my in my experience that something brand new pops out that as far as I could tell, wasn't really, you know, uh, there in either one of the lines that it came from, you know, it was not, not a, particularly in the areas of smells, you know, like uh, yeah. turquoise and things like that. I've definitely seen brand new smells come out and this is many, many times. So, so, you know, the idea that uh, variability, that we're in danger of losing variability. I'm not sure about that. I, I think that there has been a lot of carelessly bred stuff, you know, and maybe, you know, a lot of stuff related too much to too much stuff. 
you know, well, we've even seen that with uh, aquaponics as well, where aquaponics seems to activate whole other terpenes that are just not found in, and in could, oil. Again, that's exactly right. And it could be something like this. You know, it could be, uh, you know, genetic drift or whatever we used to call it back in the day. Um, we, had a, we actually got an email this week uh, from the show last week or a comment, I believe. I don't remember where it was from because we have... I get some, we have so many different places we upload the show now. I just, I don't know where the comment was from, but it was from somewhere um, that said, hey, we should do a show just on, on flavor. And uh, <laughs> I think that'd be really cool to do just a show on on how to increase flavor and things that we've found and, and things that, you know, other guests have brought up over the three years or for however long that we've been doing this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, cultivation methods, I mean, it's really amazing. One thing I've noticed uh, recently since I've really been running, seriously running out of space and setting plants outdoors, we're literally just into the backyard, you know, to finish flowering uh, is, you know, how much the quality of the sun, the sunlight is so much better than any of the indoor lights. Oh, yeah. Far. I haven't really used LEDs and I'm sure they, they, they maybe are a lot closer to the sunlight, but when you put plants out and they're, you're not doing anything different, you've, you know, other than, do you know what I mean? It's exactly in the same container. The only difference is you're setting it outside and giving it sunlight. And uh, yeah, you know, after one week, the difference in the terpene profile is pretty obvious. You know, when you pick, you know, you smell that plant and you, you know what I mean? It's definitely. Um, oh yeah, for sure. So just that alone, which probably I assume is just ultraviolet light, although it might be also cooler temperatures at nighttime than they're getting indoors, that, that might help as well. But it's probably mostly the the quality of the sunlight, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the adaptations in general, they have to go under or go through to, uh, you know, uh, be in those conditions uh you know after about 10 days it's it's uh it's pretty striking the the uh difference you'll see and be able to smell yeah. you know for sure yeah yeah so uh, you know uh and a lot, i mean i remember people people would uh, a lot of people believe that indoor grown cannabis was better than outdoor you know <laughs> indo is better than outdoor. <laughs> totally not you know? no no <laughs> there's no comparison <laughs> the only reason we have indoor is out of necessity i feel like we'd have a lot more uh uh northern latitude varieties uh for growers if prohibition had never uh been an issue you know we'd, we'd have all kinds of cultivars you know if we've been doing all this breeding for the last 40 years but with 50 years with you know uh large populations of plants yeah. you know, we weren't we're, Cause I think that's, you know, something you were touching on. I don't think it's careless breeding. I'm sure in some cases that's definitely the case, but I feel like a lot of it is just, you know, uh, people were working with what they had, uh, mm. with the space they had. And it's, you know, if you could, if you know, a lot of people can, I mean, I'm sure you guys can all remember the days and it was like, everyone, you got to keep it under 99 or 99 or under. Cause you know, uh, otherwise you're, uh, you know, you're, you're pushing the, uh, the limit there to that five-year mandatory minimum technically technically if we're and i just had to have this conversation with someone in oklahoma is that if you are the the so congress passed a bill in um 2014 
And that what that bill does is that protects um, cannabis producers only if you abide by state law. Are you exempt from federal law? If you do not abide by state law, those federal laws apply. So you still, if you're in flagrant violation of those federal laws, uh, or in, in state laws rather, they absolutely can charge you with that. Even to this day, can charge you with that. You know, five year minimum for every yeah. ninety nine, or for every one hundred rather. Um, I, I had to explain that explicitly to someone who refused to listen to, to, to putting a fence up to, to stay compliant. It was completely idiotic, but it's just one of those, hey, man, you know, you, you do it by the book or you, you don't do it. Like if you're going to if you're going to do it for legal business, like stop fucking around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that surprises me. That just blows my mind. Somebody gets that far into that big of a farm. You know, like I know what your farm you're talking about, and uh, and they they won't finish putting up the fence. I mean, come on, <laughs> you got <laughs> you got four hundred and something plants, and you don't have a fence up. You are not in compliance. You know, no. I know Steve would talk to him and talk to him and talk to him, and I don't understand it at all. Yeah. Yeehaw, the Wild West. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you can lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. And that, that's all you can do. And it's and it is something that, you know, too, if you're a consultant and someone's not abiding by the law, don't be afraid to walk away. There is nothing wrong with walking away from a non-compliant, you know, um, you know, customer, especially if you're a consultant. There's yeah. not a damn reason why you should risk doing what you're doing um, and risk your livelihood because someone else is greedy. Um, because no because reason like for that whatsoever. Because like Steve would say, you know, told us all the, the whole point of it is, is that if as a consultant, you're liable too to be in, if you're on well, that property and that grow. Liable. Yeah. But if you're in the grow, right. I mean, you're pretty much. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're on site, absolutely. Yeah. You're liable. Yeah. You're liable. So that's why you can walk away if it's not because you don't want to ruin your life and your license to, or your ability to be a consultant, you know, because. You never know how the law takes you. If you get arrested, you may be banned from doing that. You know, it's, you, know, you yep. never know. So, yep. So that's why you gotta, why you gotta be careful. So. Um. Alrighty. Well. Um. Anything else there, uh, Mr. Green Jeans? I know you're working on some new, some new lines of seeds. I do. That's that is kind of true. Thanks to you. Um, you know, I messed around with your uh, with I. You know, the the, the blue hash, of course. Uh, um, I crossed. Uh, did I get? Did you guys ever get any of the seeds of that crossed with white wizard? Did I give any of those to you? Or those? I think I have a few left. Yeah. Yeah. And I say I, no. I didn't get any. Yeah. Uh, that that would be a that would be a. That'd be a fun. And we popped. I think we only had one that ended up not being a male of the six that we popped, or four that we popped. We didn't pop a ton. We did. There were some that we were kind of phenome hunting in, and then some that we just didn't have a ton of money in. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or a ton of time in rather. Yeah, and you fun. didn't get to finish the experiment either, did you? Oh well, so. you know, I know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I also made seeds off the Shirley Temple plant. I think I crossed, I think I crossed it with a Feijoa Kush 
male. I don't know what anybody was growing that. My daughter is growing out ones off of your flow uh, chem dog. Uh, yeah, that's a good line. No, it sounds right. tasty. Yeah, and so I crossed that also with the, my, my Fejoa Kush male. Ooh, he's, those will be and, really nice. Yeah, so she was growing those out. She called, she's calling a couch dog. They have that up in... Uh, <laughs> Oh, I saw. I remember those there. pictures. You sent me those pictures. That, that's strange. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, look, yeah, they're huge. they're just huge trees, and uh, she was a little worried that uh, they were starting kind of late up there. And I'm sure, you know, they, of course, they need to finish as quick as possible. But I knew those were. I knew they were uh, that it, both sides finished fast. Both sides a little bit. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, stuff doesn't start flowering right away, but uh, we'll still catch up and finish faster <laughs> than something else, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are laughing. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, both sides, both the flow chem dog and the, and the Fejoa kosher like that. So I was able to tell her, I was able to tell her, yeah, well, when they get going, they'll, they'll start finishing up fast. She, and last she communicated, she was like, yeah, you're right. They're finishing really quick. <laughs> so... So I guess they're working out okay in Southern Oregon, but you know, that's pretty, it's always pretty chancy, you know, taking uh, seeds and genetics and growing them outdoors. Just, you know, it's indoor, <laughs> indoor grown, uh, indoor bread, you know, and stuff like that. It's a gamble. I, yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is that I, I think one reason why uh, my stuff has been successful outdoors. I mean, I bred cherry bomb, like, 13 generations indoors probably or 14 before I started giving it out in the early 2000s and uh, I think the reason is that I've never really used I've always used like a 16-8 veg cycle I've never used a long a longer day length and so uh, that I'm fairly certain translates better towards outdoor growing because if you think about it there there really isn't any place in continental u.s that has a day longer than 16 something is there you gotta go up to alaska yeah there's (laughs) almost none i mean actually the longest in the lower 48 we we had this discussion we had an argument before i believe it was 14 and a half hours in the lower 48 was the longest right it isn't even that long that's and why so, I, uh, i've done 14 short. 10 but yeah yeah by the way i wanted to say this i'm sorry to interrupt you mr green just real quick to patrick when you were talking about photo periods though nobody on this panel ever probably veges more than 16 hours of light and we're, we're more worried about the well, dark period you know? well I mean, it happens well, some, but, you know. some commercial stuff we're doing 18 but i would never yeah. do more yeah. than 20 yeah. and it's it blows my mind that people do 24 hours of light on on anything in fact i've i've even we've talked about this on the show on on both um on um uh, equatorial stuff for, uh, genetics have gotten from jamaica and cbd cultivars um when i run them on 24 hours of light they'll throw nanners like straight oh, up yeah. veg they'll throw nanners but if you switch the same cultivars to 16 or 18 hours and give them a nighttime they stop throwing nanners and they, they, they won't harm on you anymore. I've seen that. People think plants don't grow at night. I mean, they absolutely do. You know what I mean? They grow like, oh, yeah. they grow like crazy. Well, the root zone is, is more active at night. You know, that's well, there's, there's hormones that are produced at night. Too. 
there's hormones that are solely produced yep. for the plant sleeping, the same as is a yep. human. We have hormones and, and enzymes and proteins that are only made while we're resting and, and plants are no different. In fact, they're even more reliant on it because their microbial interaction changes dramatically in, what, like in their, their internal microbiome. Those, those ratios change quite a bit from nighttime to daytime. That's what you can even measure that. If, if you actually check, when you do a BRICS test, if you check the pH of the sap from nighttime to daytime, there's even a small amount of change. You, you see this um, quite a bit, even in large aquaponic systems. If you check the pH from nighttime to daytime, um, it'll be as, as much as 0.4 different, 0.2 to 0.4 different because of the microbial interactions, just because of the stuff, you know, consuming different minerals from daytime to nighttime and different amounts of oxygen and, and CO2 and everything else in the water. And depending and on- Something that we shared too is I learned this from UK growers who are all love sativas. Okay, they don't they don't really I don't, I don't know why, uh, but I guess it's a high THC. But I was taught years ago, about a decade ago, to to you when I do a, a haze or a sativa to grow it at twelve twelve after after you get the seedling started and you want to put it in veg and do you do a twelve twelve all the way through and it, it, it severe it extremely retards the finishing time. So you can get something done in a in a um, in the eight to ten weeks or so instead of twelve to sixteen. Well, you know, it was interesting. There was a I was recently at a talk and they were showing how they had quite a wide variety of different cultivars and almost all of them stopped between day thirty and forty of growth of flower in terms of um, vertical growth. Which I thought was real interesting. Well, not you know bud development, but in terms of um, you know internodal spacing, I thought that was really interesting. That had you know pretty radical different difference in genetics, uh, and having that that same kind of stopping period. Now I'm sure there are some sativas, for sure that don't follow that rule, but um, I, it was really interesting to see that kind of uniformity in production strains. Well, it helps to, it, instead of stretching all at once for two weeks after inducing flower, it's constantly just adapting and stretching to, and becomes uniform. I think that's what it is. Yeah. So what about, what about uh, anything else there, uh, Mr. Green Jeans? I know I'm going to see you next week. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to come out and hang out. Um, and uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll do a, definitely do a thing. I don't know if we're going to do episodes next week because I'm going to be traveling. Uh, I'm going to be on the road. So we're going to see if I can fit them in. Thursday is going to be, um, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be rough next <laughs> week, but we're going to try. We're definitely going to have some video content. I just don't know if we're going to have normal shows um, because of scheduling with where, where I'm going to be. So. Um, and for anyone interested, I will be in Long Beach, California on Tuesday. I'm speaking at 10 a.m. at the California Cannabis Business Association's conference on aquaponic cannabis uh, cultivation. Um, and uh, it's put on by the National Cannabis Association, uh, which is uh, really cool uh, if anyone's interested in checking that out. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And, um, and then I'll also be up at uh, New West Summit uh, in San Francisco, or no, Oakland. Uh, next week as well uh, for those of you that are interested in uh, hanging out or getting together uh, let me know I think I'm sure we'll find time to pop over to the Castro Castle and say hi to Wayne and Jeff and and the crew over there and uh, you never know who else we might bump into there's some pretty cool people we're working on trying to arrange some meetings with 
some pretty cool stuff that we're going to be doing while we're in California this trip. And uh, you never know where else I might pop up at. And um, yeah, I think I'll wait till my segment and then I'll talk a little bit more about what I've been doing. Maybe um, you could uh, do a castle podcast again on Thursday night. Uh, that'd be a stretch. We'll just, see. Joe, I, just throw it out there. I'll be in, I'll be in Oakland. Yeah, yeah. So. But that, it's the closest you're going to get without being there. Yeah. Um, so, um, what, uh, what have you been up to there, Roger? Uh, we're just going, still going through our hemp compliance licensing and stuff for my farm. Um, uh, things are kind of slowing down because of the time of year and all we're, we're still into, uh, we still had summer like, uh, uh, weather here, hot, hot and humid as hell. Uh, but next I've had, oh, I got great news that I, I looked at the, the, the projected forecast over the next two weeks and next week it looks like we're going to have 70 degree days and start going towards a, a nice fall climate which i'm i am ready for i got so much work to do and you can only Dude, get so much done in 100 degree heat so i feel um, you so much we finally got a the very first day of 70s in oklahoma and it's like a whole like i literally just there was like okay this is the excuse i needed to walk for us to go get lunch <laughs> like yeah far too nice out to stay inside but it's going to be beautiful and that's about it just trying to clean up i'm really looking forward to it because i'm going to get to clean up my farm we're redoing my greenhouse and we've not been able to do it because my partner's been just because of the heat not subsiding as it would in the fall normally see normally in september we start getting 70 to 80 degree days we had two of them and then it went back up into the mid 90s and so he's a hvac guy so shout out to ryan hey buddy um he he's just been blowing up you know with pe doing ac work because of the summer never subsided but so we're all excited about getting together and and getting uh my greenhouse back online and that's the number one thing we're trying to do now and of course i'm playing with stuff um i got i got some nice nice uh genetics from um our friends of the show um kaya uh malik and uh wendy uh going and i'm getting ready to put them in flower allegedly and uh, and that's about it. Um, to, to, you know, just trying to take care and hang in there and keep a good attitude amongst all this depressing world that we live in. Oh, it ain't that depressing. Trump's about to get himself impeached. He literally talked about a bunch of stuff that was pretty impeachable on live on TV today when I watched him. So it was pretty awesome. Oh, yeah, you watched at least there's him? a little bit of hope in the world. So, um, but uh, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was just saying, oh, you watched him. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, no, it popped up on my phone that there was a oh. live thing. And I was like, oh, you know what? I, I could get a good giggle while I'm, because, you know, right. he's, anyways, I don't want to get into too much on politics. Yeah, let's not, let's not, because I don't, I don't think it's, any, I, on I think that the vast majority of our listeners are, are do not think of Trump favorably and we'll leave it at that. But uh, anyway, everything's going pretty good here. Um, the estranged wife has been coming home a little bit more and I think she's finally, you know, chilling out a little bit. So we're having a lot more harmony here than the last couple, two and a half years or so. And, uh, yeah, this is, uh, this two and a half, you were talking about how long the show was. I, I, I was talk I was thinking about it the other night and I joined the show about two and a half years ago. We're almost at two and a half years. I've been doing it with you guys. Well, Marty and I have been wow. doing it, uh, to the, over a year before that. Yeah. 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 
Um, so uh, I I'm gonna talk a little bit about what I've been doing. Um, I don't have I can't get into all the details I would like to get into yet because I have to wait on the press release to go out. But uh, we're gonna be doing a big ass project in Africa. Um, one of the bigger projects going on in Africa. Uh, there'll be a press release at some point in the next very short while with a bunch more details. But uh, that's what's been keeping me busy and what I've been doing and why I've been zipping all over to all kinds of cool places and hanging out with all kinds of cool people um, that are going to help us along the way. So that's what I've been doing uh, and why I've been very quiet for a minute. Um, got a pulled into this bigger project with some of the great people we've been working with. And um, yeah, it's kind of snowballed into to something that is far bigger than I could have ever imagined. And uh, it's really cool. So we're gonna get a chance to talk about that here in a few weeks, but we'll be doing some filming over there. And once that happens, uh, once I transition over to there, uh, I think we're just gonna do live on Thursdays and then do a recorded show on Tuesdays and then get some of the guys. There's a whole list of guests that we've been not been able to get because we've been able to, you know, happen to do evening shows or weird time zones or like Jorge Cervantes, we, him and I have played tag more times than I can count trying to get him on the show, but he's in Spain and a handful of other breeders are in Spain that I'd love to get on. Um, you know, Arjan, uh, is in Netherlands. It's a bitch to get him on the show. So there's a couple of other, you know, European people, African people, and other people we'll be working with um, that will be able to do some recorded episodes and and you know stuff on weird timelines that and just you know more personal interviews. Um, and I think that'll be really cool uh, later on uh, towards the end of the year, beginning of next year, whenever uh, this all uh, you know whenever the move date comes, um, which is going to come sooner than later. So. Um, that's what I've been up to. So we're looking at a, a couple of different countries in Southern Africa um, that we have uh, different assets in already. And um, that's what I've been doing. So it's going to be a lot of fun and uh, far bigger than anything I've worked on yet. So I'm super stoked on that. I'm glad you, I'm glad you chose Thursday. I was going to suggest that. And I'm glad you did that. So it makes me feel good and uh, record it. It's be great because, yeah, you'll only be a couple hours, two or three hours difference from Jorge's time when you get over there, too. Yeah, so that, that should work out. Yep. Of course, I'm available uh, 24 you know, hours a day. So, you know, I'm always going to be here if, if Steve allows me. So. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. We're going to we're going to do a little bit of our own strain hunting um, in a couple of countries. I'm actually actually talked to the woman that I'm going to go do it with. But uh, once we get set up, we're going to go there, plan out what we're doing. We already have a bunch of seeds and stuff lined up, but plant that out. And then go find some local stuff to work on, you know, and, and then breed that up. And then, uh, you know, work on, you know, crossbreeding up some of those local cultivars, try to find some more THCV cultivars and work on some other cool, unique stuff that we have uh, in the works. Um, some pretty cool partners and some really amazing people. Uh, again, I gotta I gotta keep my my tongue tied until the press release goes out, but uh, goes out. But I didn't get permission, at least enough to to say that uh, as much as I was allowed to say today. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like he's been telling us for like three months. Yeah, I got a new thing, but I can't talk about it. It's like, well, don't talk about it. See? <laughs> it's hard when you're like, yeah, something excited. that's cool. You know, we have a 
uh, you know, we're looking at, well, I should keep the details, but we're looking at building out a very large greenhouse facility right off the bat, along yeah. with some other cool stuff that we're working on. So, but you can't talk about it. So, moving on. <laughs> well, I, I, <laughs> once they release the press release, I can talk about all of them. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, I'd just like to mess with you because this but, is not uh, the first time you hadn't had. You well, we were supposed to, it was supposed to be out, and then good things keep happening every week. So, we keep pushing it back because we keep adding good things. So, can't complain when it's good reasons so but yes uh so that's what i've been up to and just working on and working on you know sourcing beneficial insects in southern africa and working on sourcing uh, all the different uh things that we're used to having here in the western hemisphere and trying to find them over there and and uh and what is nice is that, you know, there's a lot of things that are getting pretty expensive in the United States because of the tariffs that Trump has caused uh, with China. Well, they don't have tariffs in Africa with China. So um, it's pretty nice that uh, a lot of the stuff is actually about a third cheaper <laughs> uh, when we're pricing out the grow and stuff. It's kind of funny. Which, you, know, you wouldn't really think that. So, yeah. Uh, and then uh, one last thing here, well, uh, Marty and I are working on the uh, we have the class coming up uh, August or October, October 17th through the 20th. Um, we'll be teaching a four day intensive commercial aquaponic cannabis class at Marty's Farm in Gold Hill, Oregon, uh, just outside of Medford. We're literally just on the outskirts of Medford. So, if you're thinking about coming out there, if not, we will also be offering the class uh, live online for the first time for the commercial course. As, uh, we go through a whole almost an entire day of microbes uh, and nutrients. Um, and then the first day is basics aquaponics cannabis 101 and aquaponics 101 and cannabis 101. And then we do a whole day of design and management and plants, you know, uh, plant training and all the different things like that and the fish and, and whatnot. And then we do a day of system design and system you know management and you know protocols and business stuff and you know all the other kind of portions of the you know industry that you end up running into and a little bit on extraction you know we'll go through some hands-on extraction stuff i know marty's got some cool stuff going on over there uh and um i know we have a couple of other neighbors that he's gonna he's hoping to, to get us um some access to for some tours of some outdoor stuff as well depending on on what's been chopped down yet or not so uh, we're hoping to make it a really cool experience and, you know, we'll have uh, uh, plenty of cannabis to smoke there and, um, uh, you know, quite a good time. We provide lunch and you'll get a booklet that has all kinds of detailed information as a reference guide um, with the course as well. Um, and then some shared uh, digital files so that you have for references. Um, and we also cover pest management, microbials, we go over microscope work, how to analyze stuff with the microscope, how to analyze your nutrients, how to dose your nutrients. Um, I know Roger has been through the, the two-day class. Uh, 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 actually, both of you guys have been through the class, uh, Roger. Yeah, and, it, and I want to say it's an excellent class. And to be at Marty's Farm, from what I've seen, it is so beautiful up there in the mountains. And it's going to be awesome. If you guys can make it, this would be the class. It's probably the most informative cannabis business class, business slash cannabis dash everything, including bugs and everything that you could possibly think of going to. And uh, yeah, I, I can't, couldn't recommend it more. Yeah. And uh, last time we taught it up at Dutch Blooms Farm, that was a lot of fun. We had Mike West show up 
and uh, he was really cool. So you never know who, what other kind of cannabis experts might show up to our class. I know we have a couple that are talking about coming down right now who uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave them anonymous because it's always fun to surprise people. Uh, so, but, uh, but yeah, and if not, you know, you can always join us online. We'll be live streaming the whole course on Zoom. Um, so you can check us out on there if, and, and buy an online ticket as well. For those of you who can't travel, maybe you're on a different continent, um, you, you can happily join us that way. Um, so yeah, and then uh, we're working on, uh, thanks to a big friend of the show, um, we're, we're almost ready to launch. We're just uh, two to three weeks away from launching. We have a bunch of um, merch we're going to launch on uh, for aquaponic cannabis growing and regenerative uh, farming. Um, and all the proceeds, at least for the aquaponic cannabis stuff, is going to go to um, just the server costs and everything else. With Zoom, it got a little bit more expensive to host the, the podcast this year. Um, there, we also pay to host this, you know, course on on video and, and audio to to reupload it everywhere, so that's you know available on iTunes and everywhere else. So we're just going to use it for that. Um, more than happy to be fully transparent about all of that, I and mean, we'll make sure that it gets published up on the website. Um, quarterly or, or, you know, twice a year or something like that so that you guys have a, a transparent way of knowing what's going on with the funds from that. You know, I'm not looking to, to profit off of it in any way. It'd just be nice if the podcast could pay for itself a little bit. Um, and that's really all we're trying to do. But we had a member of the community really step up, but she's also willing to offer um, you know, free of, you know, a, ser a service for people, you know, breeders or anyone, you know, from the show that's wanting to get their own merch and gear up on there. Um, you know, she can get it up on there and there's no up upfront costs in terms of investment for per, per shirt. Um, you know, you get your designs, you do it all for yourself and uh, we'll be able to facilitate that for, for breeders and friends of the show that are looking to get some, some representation for their, their, their brand and, and their seeds and all that stuff that maybe just don't have money for that, you know, to have merch, you know, a lot of us are on shoestring budgets and, and she's going to help people out quite a bit. And once the store's up live, we'll, we'll get her on the show too, to talk about it. So it'd be really cool. And uh, we're, we're happy to help and, and happy to have someone that, that's part of our community that's, that's trying to help us out as well. And we're very grateful and, and, and grateful to be able to help other people as, at the same time. That will be cool. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, um, I think we'll wrap up the show on that note. Um, uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you there, uh, uh, Pat, before we let you go? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at landrace underscore preservation underscore society and uh, landracepreservationsociety.org is the site where you can come and uh, check out our genetics and, uh, you know, uh, purchase them. Awesome. Now, there's a lot of people looking for landrace out there listening to the show that are super stoked to find out about you. Um, what well, about you, Roger? Oh, you can find me, Roger Latewood, at Instagram, Facebook, uh, which I really love seeing a lot more people posting some stuff on Facebook, even though it's the evil Facebook. Um, it's easier for me to communicate being legally blind. And, of course, I, I uh, run the forums at uh, ilovegrowingmarijuana.com, and you're welcome to come there and share your information. Possibly, we, if, you're, if you've got a special category that we would need to open, I even offer that to people. You know, like, I would love to have a breeder category if i could get some breeders to sign up and start putting their stuff now we have a seed bank so i don't think that the, the company would want to allow sales of it but i think we could have a breeders uh, like a discussion 
category if people wanted to do that. We've, we've had a lot of breeders on the show and they've all been great. So, and thanks again, Patrick, you were fantastic tonight. I, I love your uh, sense of humor and all too, you know, you're nice to hear people take, take things real seriously, but have a sense of humor and laugh at things too. You know, so. Yeah. Sorry if I cut you off there. I didn't mean to. Did you cut me off? No, I meant, I, I think I cut off Patrick a little bit oh. there at the end. Didn't mean to, I'm sorry. All right, um, what about you, Mr. Green Jeans? Uh, yep, I'm at uh, greenjeansgarden.com. Email me. <laughs> or I, I have an Instagram account too. I think it's uh, Mr. Green Jeans Garden. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, you guys. <laughs> Uh, it was a great show, Patrick. Yeah, thanks for yeah. being here. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. This was fun. We also need to give a shout out for Marty, who's probably going to bed. Uh, AP Meds at G uh, well, no, that's right. I almost gave his email, but he, AP Meds <laughs> at uh, at Patreon or at uh, uh, Instagram, and then I'm not sure what is he. Well, he's part of the Aquaponics Cannabis Growers Group on Facebook, so yep. that's probably the best way to catch Marty. Yep, that's also you can find us. We have over 5,000 growers uh, that grow with aquaponic cannabis over on Facebook called Aquaponic Cannabis Facebook Growers Group. Um, and uh, you can find out, oh, I forgot to mention the class. Um, the, the website is uh, apmjclass.com. Um, and there's also a link to it in the description as well. And um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this week. You can find out um, more than any of the video episodes on Potent Punk's YouTube channel uh, or many other, I think there's a couple, three other places we have the video uploaded to now. Um, Weed Tube and GrowTube or whatever the hell the other one is. And then, <laughs> and then uh, your favorite uh, sound podcast app, um, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts all the different places um, and uh, appreciate it. I appreciate everyone's support. Uh, I will see you at the California Cannabis Business Association's conference next week. I do not think we're going to have any shows next week. We will have live content on the YouTube channel. I just don't think we're going to have time to do regular shows. We will try our best. If we do have a show, it will be from a cool place. There's, there's some cool stuff we're going to be doing next week. I just need to see if I have the capability and the, the permission to do uh, live cast somewhere I will be during normal podcast hours. So um, we will see about that. No promises. Um, if not, we'll be back again a week from now and uh, we'll see you guys then. Cheers.